Hello, and welcome to Statistically Insignificant, a podcast with Scrawl about statistics. My name is Tess, my pronouns are she and they, and I will be your primary nerd on this adventure. With me in his capacity as journeyman nerd, it's Bart. How's it going? Hey, how's it going? Um, I go by he and him, and since the last episode that I've, I've realised that my erections are timed f- to predict rocket attacks. <laughs> so does this mean that you're getting really excited about the Ukraine situation? Well, it just means I really need the Saudis to stop this shit in Yemen. <laughs> Awkward in conversation, I could imagine. Indeed. For today's episode, we ventured deep into the Bunda Vista podcast Scenario Factory. Through great trial, effort, and union solidarity, we managed to temporarily liberate host and electrical engineer Theo. How are you going? Hey, I'm good, thank you. Um, yeah, my pronouns are uh, he, him. Um, I have no Pinchonian um, disorders at the moment, erectile or otherwise. Um, yeah, You're completely and, um, normal after all. I'm I'm mostly completely normal at this stage. Yes, mm. um, no need to rub it in, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, the surgery is very affordable. Um, I'll get you. I know. I know a guy that doesn't. Um, should I give my disclaimers up front? Is that please? Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. So, um, as I mentioned, I'm an electrical engineer and um, a long time software engineer as well. I'm so sorry. Um, yes. Um, not as sorry as I am. Um, <laughs> I am not here affiliated with any particular organization um, or uh, the place that I work with or don't work with. I probably can't shit talk um, specific organizations, uh, etc. Et um, and I'm also not, uh, you know, an expert on everything electrical um, power, power grid thing. Um, with that said, you know... Um, I've got a reasonable amount of knowledge in um, in the domain, especially in the operations side of it. But uh, you know, only only a few years in the industry, so I'm definitely still getting getting started. But I'm more than happy to be here and uh, and share uh, my interest and excitement in the um, um, power grid because uh, I think it's actually I think it's pretty cool. And I, I love talking about it. So oh, fantastic! I will put Thanks away me on. my textbook of electrical engineering with the questions <laughs> in the back. Yeah. <laughs> That's been cleared um, from my desk. You're safe for the moment. All right. Very good. Now, just before we start, Bart and I actually met through the Bunta Vista community. That does mean, Theo, you are our podcasting progenitor. Oh, dear. I know. By <laughs> podcasting law, that makes you legally responsible for all actionable threats that we make until our 18th episode. This hey, is episode right. 14, so we'll try to get in as many as possible before then. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, as long as I'm not making the threats, um, I think I'll be. I think I'll be safe. That's not how cancellation works. I've been informed. Uh, okay. <laughs> so we've got Theo on to talk about electricity infrastructure in Australia, particularly the sort of statistics that go into managing the power grid. First, Theo, what the hell is a kilowatt hour, and how can it be stopped? <sighs> All right. Um, so they can't be stopped. Oh, no. um, let's just put that. Yeah, let's just put that. Put it out there um, to begin with. But a kilowatt hour is. Um, so first of all, you have to ask what a kilowatt is. Yeah. Um, and a kilowatt is a an instantaneous measure of power. Okay. So uh, it's like speed, right? So mm. um, speed or velocity is an instantaneous um, measurement of how fast you're going, mm-hmm. uh, but it doesn't describe anything over time. 
Um, so a kilowatt, similarly, um, is if you take a if you take a meter and you put it to a you know uh, you measure the the flow of power over a line or what a what a device is using at a particular moment. That's that's what a kilowatt is. Um, now, if you were to measure that over a period of time, so say that you have a microwave, for example, and it is a kilowatt microwave, as in the, the power that it uses while it's on, is a um, is a kilowatt, and you were to turn that microwave on for one hour because you've got a big turkey to cook. Mm. Um, Love microwaving my turkey. It's true. Yes, uh, then you would then you would use one kilowatt hour. So one kilowatt for one hour. Yeah. equals one kilowatt hour. Similarly, if you were to have two kilo, um, two kilowatt microwaves and you had two turkeys to microwave uh, and you did it for half an hour, you would also have a kilowatt hour. So it is the um, how much power that you're using multiplied by how long you used it for. And that's the basis um, on which you are charged... Um, for the for the energy that you use, so kilowatt hour is a measure of energy versus kilowatt, which is a measure of power. Okay. Um, and similarly, that is how generators get paid, um, etc. Et it is in um, kilowatt and megawatt hours. Okay. So uh, the intuition I'm getting from this is it's basically a volume measurement. It is a volume measurement. Yeah. That is exactly. So that's exactly right. Yeah. So it's a combination of kind of. If I make an analogy to water or some sort of flow, so you've got a flow rate, which is the kilowatt and a duration. Yes, exactly. Yep. We, we love our we love our water metaphors in the uh, <laughs> electrical engineering. It's all world. about the pipes, baby. That's right. It is all about the pipes, um, and, and that's that's exactly that's exactly right. Um, you know, so if you want to get um, super technical about it, um, kilowatt hour is the integral of a kilowatt mm. uh, with respect to time. Uh, and in fact, that's what your meter box is is doing, either mechanically or or electronically. It is taking the integral of the amount of power that you use over over time. So the analogy of a kilowatt to speed um, is that. Um, sorry, I'm just trying to get my head around it. It's um, if I'm going to jump in for a second to say yeah. uh, two things. First of all, so in this case, if we have one kilowatt hour by using one kilowatt for one hour. However, if we have two kilowatts and use them for half an hour, we get the same amount. That's exactly right. Yep. Yeah, and so to and to touch upon the um, the analogy, the, the um, traveling analogy, if you travel at 100 kilometers per hour, which is the instantaneous measure, um, and you travel for an hour, then you have traveled 100 kilometers. So, so in this case, the distance is the volume measurement, um, the speed is the instantaneous measurement, and um, displacement is the integral of uh, speed. There. So one so. thing you can do to get your head around this is actually look at the units. So when I, I write kilowatt hour, I can't remember if it's a capital W or not here, right? It's a um, capital W, yep, lowercase yep. k. Yep, so this is a multiplication in here. If you exactly have right. kilometers per hour, this is a division in here. When you take one kilowatt for one hour, you are doing, you multiply the units, right? So one kilowatt for one hour gives one kilowatt hour. Two, uh, two kilowatts for half an hour, you multiply two by half, you get one. You multiply kilowatts by hour, you get kilowatt hours. Down here, right, okay. what we've done is we said, 
kilometers per hour. So 100 kilometers per hour, we multiply by one hour. An hour divided by an hour goes away because the units uh, cancel out. So you just get kilometers. That's exactly right. And just to put a little bow on this, um, the um, so a the reason that the time is sort of involved in this way, uh, but you don't see it the divide by hours on the bottom or, or that sort of thing is because it's already part of the watt units. So a watt um, is a joule per second. Okay. So. Um, so a watt is a joule per second. And so, you know, the um, if you were to use a watt for a second, you would have used a joule. So you go, well, why don't you talk in, in joules? Those are the things that, that physicists use. And it's because uh, electrical engineers are, are lazy um, and we don't want to do don't want to do maths, and it's much easier to multiply one kilowatt by one hour because that that's typically like the domain that we're working in. Same thing yep. with megawatt hours, right? So if you've got a generator and it's generating a megawatt for one hour, you know you don't have to. The maths is is very uh, very easy. Um, in um, in the gas industry, they do talk in joules. They talk in, in terajoules and petajoules. Oh, so they're um, even in, bigger in, than nerds is what I'm hearing. They're even bigger nerds, abs yeah. absolutely. But they're also sort of like dealing with mechanics and stuff, mm. which sort of makes them kind of salt to the earth. Um, ah, working you know, class. Grease covered, etc. Yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> with respect to that, you said that this is the units that the um, generators themselves use as well and what they get paid in. Is it also how they measure their output or do they go with, at any point in time, the instantaneous rate, which is the kilowatt output or mega or terawatt or whatever? Well, both. I mean, it depends on what you're, what you're measuring, right? Yep. So, um, and it, we can get into how this all works now or later, I'm not sure, but the, um, but, you know, they are um, requested to generate um, at a particular megawatt level. Um, so when they are when they are generating that megawatt level, the instantaneous um, measurement is is very important. Yep. So they have to ramp up to a particular level and run at a particular time, and then ramp down. You know, de just depending on what's going on in the power system. Mm. Um, and and it's only really the volume measurement that kind of tells them how much they get paid. Right. So definitely that that instantaneous the megawatt is um, is what is important, or probably more more important. Um, and that's that's the scale on which demand and supply um, operate as as well. So very very important to uh, you know meg megawatt is is at the core of of uh, the the power grid. Yeah. So let's talk a bit more about that and the Australian context in particular. So in a, in Australia we have unfortunately a privatized electricity system. So there is a disconnect between the producers and the users to kind of insert, let's say, a free market model with retailers. So we have at one end the generators, we have the intermediary retailers, and we have the end users. What do the retailers do in this relationship? Yeah, so it's a great, it's a great question. Um, so the, and there is a little bit in, um, that I would insert into this, this um, continuum as well. Mm-hmm. So in between generators and retailers sits the Australian Energy Market Operator, or AEMO. Um, so That's all right. <laughs> Finn's having fun in the background. Yeah, yeah, you heard me. <laughs> heard me say the, uh, the name. Um, <laughs> so every five minutes, every five minutes in the Australian 
energy market, the Australian energy market operator um, assesses or forecasts the amount of, of demand that is expected and they then request or, or dispatch is the technical term the um, appropriate amount, the same amount of generation plus losses, blah, blah, blah. Let's just keep it simple. The same amount of generation from the generators. So they will say, uh, you go at 100, you go at 50, you go at 25, and um, we can break that down why and how that happens um, in a bit. Um, but they purchase this from the generators. The retailers purchase this power from from AEMO and I'm probably glossing over a lot of, because I haven't actually been on the financial side mm. of this. Apologies if anybody who is in uh, the market side or Prudentials is listening to this and screaming at me. Um, but this is this is a simple. <laughs> that would and useful... require anybody to listen to this. Yeah. So, okay. Know. Okay. <laughs> this is simple and useful um, uh, simplification. So AMO buys it from the from the generators and sells it to the retailers in the same way that the ASX connects buyers and sellers of stock and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, and then the retailers sell this to the users on a quarterly, monthly, um, yearly basis. So you go, okay, um, why, why do we need retailers and, and, you know, um, accepting that we are in a free market society or, mm. or, or mostly free market society in, in Australia. Despite my best efforts to take Before, over despite, the world. And, that's yes. right. We, we find <laughs> ourselves in a, in a market, in a market context, um, but if the users were buying straight out of the wholesale pool, so the wholesale price is what the generators are paid and it's what the retailers pay. It's the wholesale price. It's in um, dollars per megawatt hour. And that goes up and down like crazy. You can go on, uh, if you go to the front page of aemo.com.au, you can go to the visualizations. You'll see a price graph there. That price goes from... Um, negative, I'm going to get this wrong, negative, I'm going to say $1,000. This it might be $1,100 at this point um, for power. Yep, there we go. That's the graph there. So okay. um, Tess has brought up the graph there of the spot price and the and the demand because this is a spot spot market. Uh, and it goes, like I said, it goes anywhere from negative $1,000-ish to, um, I think, at the moment, the market price cap is $15,100 per megawatt hour when okay. the normal price sits um around you know <clears throat> 100 bucks or so uh, okay, between so 50 and 100 so it's quite low at the moment at 21 dollars yeah so cause it's a it's the middle of the um it's a, it's sunday a weekend afternoon, yeah. it's sunday afternoon um you know we've got a lot of um renewables going uh, middle of summer yeah um but not no heat waves anywhere yeah right so so this, so, so this is the evening spike on Presumably, when everyone's cooking dinner, for example. That's exa that's exactly right. So we, we experience typically a small spike in the morning of prices and a large spike in the evening. And and large spike spike in the evening is typically where you start to see if there is demand, uh, if there is supply and demand issues, which mm. again we'll get into, um, that they all start cropping up. And because of the market based um, system in there, the price can skyrocket and, and it can hit that market price ceiling. So what retailers do is sit in the middle as a risk pool. Mm. So so if you're unfamiliar with risk pools, you know, risk pools are um, like insurers 
Um, insurance is, of course, the, the biggest risk pool. Public health is another massive risk pool um, where, you know, we all pay in in the form of taxes um, with the understanding that, oh, okay, well, if nothing bad happens to me, I've only paid a little bit of tax. If something really bad happens to me, I've still only paid that little bit of tax instead of paying nothing until something bad happens to you and yep. then you pay a huge amount of money. Same thing with um, the with the market system in the electricity industry, the retailers do the research. Um, they they will crunch the, the numbers, not just past and present, but looking to the future in what the supply and the demand is going to do, what the um, there are transmission costs involved, there are distribution costs involved, and they have to boil that all down to a single tariff. That's the meaning of a tariff, right? So on your bill, you pay 20, 22 cents, something around that point per kilowatt hour. And so the retailers have boiled down that that wholesale price that goes from negative a thousand to fifteen dollars per megawatt hour into a single tariff, so that um, they still profit. But if things go really bad, uh, Grandma doesn't go broke for having her aircon on mm. during a price spike. Now in this previous couple of years, what we've seen in Australia is the rise of um, of wholesale power plants. Mm. Um, you know, I think Amber is probably the most visible um, of of those. And they say, look, pay us a fat, flat fee of $15. Um, and then we just pass the wholesale price um, f- plus distribution charges mm. through to you. Um, and so that would look like, you know, your distribution charges something like 10 cents or something. They're, they're about half of your power bill because um, the distribution system is big and lossy. Yep. Um, and then plus the wholesale price. But that means that, you know, you could do really badly in, in one afternoon and pay, you know, 50 bucks or something like that for a single day of, of power. So um, probably without, you know, crapping on anything, I, I think, you know, it's very careful. It, these are one of the, those things that if you're looking at those sorts of plans, you need to be really cognizant of the risks involved. Um, whereas retailers, um, we have an extremely competitive retail market in Australia. Um, it's one thing that the vertical separation of the markets has done really well at, um, in that the um, the power the, the retailers are extremely competitive, and you can find something that's that's reasonably close to uh, you know the retailers breaking even, not making yeah. much money on it. If you do your if you do your research, there are um, government um, sites um, now you can go on Energy Made Easy. Uh, and go and have a look and and compare the plans. And they're all very, um, while we say we've got a market economy, the electricity industry in Australia is extremely um, tightly regulated. Okay. Um, and people have to, um, and including the ones that are doing wholesale plans, there are, there are backstops and there are safeguards in Australia, which can be quite different to the experience of um of people in, for example, in Texas, yes. uh, where everything went tits up. And um, it's going and, tits up again. It looks like, and it's going and could go, huge yeah. Stuff. Well, well, because they don't learn anything. Um, <laughs> Do that, we? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, whereas Australia, um, we uh, we have much tighter controls. Even though, like I said, it's a vertical market, it's a free market. Um, we are. It is a very highly regulated market as as well between the um, AER, which is the Australian Energy Regulator, uh, the AMC, which is the rule maker. So So AER is the regulator. Um, The AEMC is the rule maker. Yep. Um, And 
and then the um, yep, guy. So AER yep. is the regulator, AMC is the rule maker, and AEMO is both the market and the system. So these um, are operator. all uh, like government organizations, or are they <sighs> private? Sort of, kind okay. of. So AER is, is uh, I know less about the AR and the AMC, but I believe that they are both um, government owned. Um, apologies, I, I, I don't have that on, on hand. Um, so what distinguishes a regulator from the rule maker? So the AMC um, is, you know, a bunch of economic um, economists and um, electrical engineers and that sort of thing are trying to work out and trying to plan what are the useful mechanisms and the useful rules that we that we need in the market and in the system for the system to be rational um, and for the system to be secure uh, electrically. Mm. So, you know, um, again, I'm no economist, but but things like having the right price signals are very important. Okay. We talk about things like price signals in, in um, being a beacon for requiring further investment because that's something where we're going to get profit, uh, you know, where companies will profit from. And so, you know, the, the clearest pri- price signal that we have is the... Um, spot price for electricity. If it is high, that signals to investors build more generation. Mm. If it is low, that signals to investors back off. You know, production. Um, we're 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 sort of you know a bit over flooded in this in the system sort of thing. So so there, it's a difficult uh, and it's a difficult gig, right? Because everything that they raise, you can go on the AMC site, um, and you can view um, the rule change proposals, as well as the feedback that they get from industry. So, you know, we <laughs> yeah. have a, we have a very, um, specified, um, rules making process. Um, it invites feedback from the industry continually and, th- and throughout. And you can read, you know, it's brutal stuff on there to say, you know, this is really good or this is bad. And this is, this is going to really hurt Australia and all this sort of stuff. Um, mm. so it's a tough, it's a tough job that they, that they have, right? Mm. Um, and then, um, so the AER, once these rules have been made, the AER's job is to regulate the people who are actually going by the rules. Okay, so, so it's an enforcement body, yeah. It's an enforcement, it's an enforcement body, right? It is a regulatory body. Mm. Um, and then AEMO's job, as well as the rest of the participants in the, in the industry, is to enact those, those rules day to day, every minute of every day sort of thing. Mm. So we were talking about ownership. AEMO is 60% government owned. 40% participant owned. Um, and they collect, um, they Sorry, collect. Was that 40% government or 60% government? 60% government, government 40%, 40% participant owned. So, um, or, or industry owned, you know. Um, and they collect their fees from the, uh, added to the wholesale price of electricity. Yeah, I was going to ask where they're running, where they're like, well, I, I'm assuming it's not a profit thing. It is a, it's a non, it's a non-profit. It's okay, a, non, yeah. um, a single purpose sort of non, non-for-profit yeah, okay. um, so thing they, with they... a constitution. Yeah, okay. Is generation privately owned as well? Uh, it depends. So um, by r- it, there's no rule to say that it needs to be privately owned. Um, so in Queensland, where I am, greatest state on earth, um, the generation is by and large owned by the government. Okay. Um, and has not been, you know, massively privatized. So, um, the, um, you know, Calide, the generator that had a little, um, a little explosion earlier it's in the pop. year. Yep. Little pop. That wasn't earlier in this year. That was earlier it's last, oh that, my goodness. I know, t- time's <laughs> fake, don't worry about it. That was last May. Yeah, <laughs> time is fake. Um, 
you know, that is that's owned by the government, um, by CS Energy, um, as is the Wyvernhoe hydrogen, uh, sorry, hydro plant, um, which is one I've had the uh, good fortune to actually visit and is incredible. Um, love the big by, spinny toys. I love the big spinny toys, especially hydro. Um, my partner, by, my yeah. partner once went to a data center in Sydney and uh, like as a site visit for a company he worked for at the time. And they had these huge, like eight ton flywheels, two of them to balance oh, yeah. out feed in from the grid. And yeah, it was, nice. you could, he said you stood next to them and you could feel the very, very faint vibration in the ground. Yeah, there's nothing faint about the vibration at Wyvernhoe when it gets started. So <laughs> we're talking hundreds of tons of spinning turbine pumping or releasing water from uh, from a reservoir. It's incredible. Uh, anyway, that's owned by Cleanco, which is a government thing. Um, you know, Stanwell is also a government organisation in Queensland. Um, but then in, in, you know, New South Wales, for example, you're talking about AGL and... Um, Delta and Energy Australia and mm. all these. So and same same thing in Victoria, um, Tasmania. I believe that the dams there. So Tasmania is highly hydro um, mm. powered, and that is government owned. To my, don't quote me on that, but I believe that's <laughs> government owned as as well. So there's no rule to say that it needs to be or or needsn't to be. But uh, you know, again, because we're um, in this sort of uh, neoliberal kind of environment, um, the 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 you know the generation and stuff has to uh, abide by the same kind of rules of economics and that has to be has to be profitable has to be all all that sort of sort of stuff so the government stuff you know they play by much the same rules as as yeah. everyone else so in fact, um, they're, they're sort of set up as government owned corporations as as well so they have to kind of mm. um you know they have to justify their existence yeah they have to have a return on that wonderful investment so when governments talk about the ill-advised move of like protecting keeping like coal plants operating is that for private industry that they are talking about or would that be for government projects a lot of the time by by and large private industry so i mean in queensland again um we have a large black coal um fleet and you know they can prop that up as much as they want because it's the government, you know, they can choose to make things unprofitable if they want to run it out or, or whatever. But in other states, you know, we, we are going to be talking about um, places like um, Loyang in um, Victoria, which is a brown coal plant. Um, Araring is one that's just come up in, um, in New South Wales. Um, and they are, again, they are AGL and Origin and uh, EA so they are they are private ones um you know and so that would that would come in the form of subsidies um mm. now i don't actually know anything about government subsidies going into those so i can't comment but um yeah that they they are privately owned coal plants let's have a look at the power generation stuff because i actually have some charts here so this is a power generation over time in australia based on its uh, like energy source so one of the questions I actually had is, you've got your black and brown coal here. What's the difference between those two? Yeah, so um, largely where you dig it up mm. and um, and then the the chemical makeup of it. So brown coal is um, is worse mm. in, in short. So we dig up brown coal in Victoria. Victoria is largely a brown coal state and we burn it in Victoria. Uh, and it has higher... Um, a higher ratio of CO2 to energy content is, I guess, the main takeaway there. So you get more um, 
more pollutants for less power out of brown coal than okay, black so coal. Okay, I, so I have a, a well, I guess, chemistry question about that. So my understanding of how the combustion of coal works is that if you have complete combustion, your out, your outcome is like CO2, CO2 uh, energy in the form of heat and other reactants, so potentially water or whatever else, because it is a yes. hydrocarbon, right? So are we talking with brown coal, there are other contaminants in there at higher proportions or? I think so. I think it has a lower, um, a lower proportion of carbon okay. in it um, and, and higher proportion of, um, of other, other hydrocarbons. But again, I, I'm, you know, I'm not, not a chemist. Yeah, no so, so I believe that they have a lower specific heat output. Okay. Um, yeah. you know, so, so specific so heat. Oh, so you go and explain it. Uh, yeah. So, I, I mean, I think, I think there's probably, um, this is going into the memory banks, but I, I think there's, there's more water in it. So it's very, um, very energy intensive to cook off water, mm. um, you know, famously. And so, you know, you get, it's just less efficient than your, your, um, exothermic reaction is, is you get less bang for buck. So what you're saying is that to produce a unit of energy, let's say a kilowatt hour, it takes more brown coal to do that than it would black coal, and that's where that's, that extra generation of carbon dioxide comes from. That's exactly right. Yeah. On top of all the other crap it's putting out. On top of all the other stuff, that's yeah. right. So in this one, we can see here that uh, renewables are actually growing over time. Now, this is not this is percentage-based, so it's not scaled to, be, uh, to show you the total amount of energy. That's the yes. next chart. Um, and this is very interesting to see because... I mean, so this, the scale on this is a bit uh, funny, perhaps, because they're not consecutive years. It's like every five. But you can see that despite the best efforts of the Liberal Party, renewables are getting off the ground a bit here. And if we come to the next one, we can see that while the overall demand for e energies, this is your petajoules me measurement. So this is not kilowatt hours. This is actually going back a step. Uh, most of that growth in the past five years has come from the growth of renewable energy. Yes. Whereas your uh, like brown and black coal is just kind of, I would say that's probably p ticking along at roughly the same rate. Yes. There is a fundamental difference between many renewable technologies, particularly wind and solar and stuff like coal, because you can choose the output of a coal plant more or less, right? Yeah. But with so, renewables, you kind of take what you get with regards to weather and day-night. Kind of, sort of. So let's let's break it down. So <clears throat> first of all, when you talk about the technological differences between um, renewable energy and non-renewable energy, and it's not quite the right distinction. Mm -hmm. um, and so what we need to do is we need to talk about um, first and foremost, we need to talk about the difference between synchronous and non-synchronous generation. So synchronous generation is big magnets spinning. Um, so that is typically, uh, for most of human history, how we have created um, electricity. So if you spin those magnets using something that turns into kinetic energy, it will then turn it into electrical energy. And that is how... Um, how coal plants work, that is how gas plants work. And that is, and so this is where the distinction is, that's also how hydro works. Yep. Um, and they're called synchronous because they spin at a multiple of the frequency of the grid. So in Australia here, we're at 50 hertz is the frequency that we operate at nominally. Um, it's never at 50 hertz because it's a um, continuous measurement. Um, 
in America, it's 60 hertz throughout so the world. So that's the amplitude, right? You said uh, no, no. Ampli- oh, so this no, is the frequency. The yeah. This is the frequency. Yes. So that is how how many times um, the little AC signal, um, goes back which is a, yeah. a sine wave, goes goes up and down. Yeah. Uh, frequency of grid. Yep. So uh, um, for people who haven't seen a sine wave in a very long time, it looks like this. Kinda. That's right. And the amplitude is the measurement from of, of like the duration of a cycle. So that there and I know oh, no, that's, so that's the, the that's frequency. the period, yeah. So the the period frequency. is how long that um, that cycle takes, and the f- which is one fiftieth of a second. Yeah. And the frequency is how often those cycles happen, which is fifty times per second. Okay, so fifty times per second. Yep. Is the frequency. That's that's right. And and wherever you go in the world, you're either dealing with fifty or sixty hertz for, okay. for historical reasons. Yeah. Okay, fifty. I'm not a physicist. The only physics mm-hmm. I know is quantum mechanics, so I'm <laughs> completely unfamiliar with all of this. Yes. Oh, so, uh, no, no. Um, natural gas there is... The, so uh, this one and this yeah. one. So it's gone up since 2004, 2005, um, but, but it's sort of holding steady now. So if you go back to the other yeah, one so there... The, these charts are not the same time period so this one oh right yes. yeah yes. Yeah, yeah. this is 94 to 95 oh, right gotcha which is here yeah okay cool yeah yeah um and we can kind of talk about why gas sort of comes and goes and that sort of thing because it's got a very particular part and point in the market but um so ste- stepping back so we've got synchronous units which are spinning magnets and we've got asynchronous um units and this is everything else so this is solar and wind and batteries Okay. Um, practically at this point. And you've also got diesel in the synchronous mix, but it sort of doesn't appear on the zoomed out view. Right. So what these, so these are basically t- uh, producing heat or producing mechanical power that turns something, whereas asynchronous is other stuff. Yeah. So asynchronous, well, asynchronous is, is one thing in particular is power electronics, right? So, um, when you get a spinning magnet in a synchronous unit, mm. um, it produces kind of like a sine sine wave, clo- very very close to a sine wave, just depending on how good the magnets are aligned is, yeah. and that sort of thing. Whereas in the asynchronous stuff, we have to make that up. We oh, have yeah. to invent a sine wave because there's no spinning magnets, right? So right. Um, they are um, they've got computers and they've got power electronics and they kind of just estimate the sine wave based on their measurement and that sort of thing so that when you if you hear synchronous and asynchronous that's what it is and that's why we talk about the nice properties of the synchronous units Mm. and the asynchronous um, units have to kind of do a bit of catching up and there's a bit of technology gap Okay, um, so wind is considered there. asynchronous because it's not turning a magnet. What's going on there? How- oh, yeah. So, so wind is a weird one, and and this is sort of going to be a bit more um, electrical engineering stuff. Yep. But um, because of the domain of wind, because of what wind does, right? So a wind turbine can only spin as fast as the wind mm. pushes it. It cannot be synchronous. Right, because it's irregular, I suppose. Because it's ir- because it's irregular, right? So it's going to spin up and spin down, just depending on the um, wind pressure exerted on the blades. 
So they use what's known as an induction motor. So an induction motor is a non-synchronous kind of motor. It's the same sort of... Oh, sorry. Induction generator. Apologies, I'm going to use the words motor and generator interchangeably. It depends on which which end the energy is going out. That's exactly right. (laughs) That's exactly right. So you've got an induction motor in your... um, in your washing machine, you've got an induction motor, all places that basically you need it to spin at a non-integer um, multiple right. of yep. the the or differing multiple of the the, the AC signal. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, they use induction motors there. They will generate a current from that induction motor, and then that'll be pushed into the um, into inverters. Um, big inverters, they, they kind of come in clusters in the wind turbines. And then the, the inverters kind of do their best attempt at um, imitating the sine wave that they see on the grid. Okay, so um, you have the the motor is what transfers the mechanical energy to something that looks like a sine wave, and then the inverters kind of modulate that a bit? to. So they'll, they'll generate... Um, I think they generate DC current. I, okay. I apologies. I don't actually know what sits in between the. Um, it's been right. a long, long time since I've done my inductive motors in and generators <laughs> in um, in uni. So, um, what I can say is that solar panels definitely do DC from um, from the panel to so DC the box is on direct your wall. current rather than alternating current. And That's this, exactly right. Yeah. So this is a, a an alternating current model. Yes. That's that's right. So we yep. we use alternating current um, in the in the larger grid. It goes up and down uh, fifty times a hertz, um, fifty times a second, and we use that because it's uh, the losses are fewer, um, and we can generate like that. Um, actually, go back and scratch that the losses are fewer because <laughs> not not quite true. Um, okay. But um, yeah, so whereas you know in your in, in your devices, you typically will use DC power because it's something that's very easy to use. And then in between, there has to be technology that changes um, ch- changes it from one to another. So in your from solar um, and from wind, you know you'll have a, um, an inverter which will take those that DC power and will create AC power. Mm. Um, in reverse, you've got things like rectifiers, which will turn the power from your wall into a 5-volt USB connection for your phone sort of mm. thing. So so um, everywhere um, throughout the, the grid, uh, we are always converting from DC to AC, AC to DC um, for different usages and that sort of thing. Wow, that band um, must get such a workout. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, so, but then going back to where, where we started, right? Um, where we can okay, so so renewables, the challenges and that sort of thing. Um, I did want to touch on a few of the things that that are um, perhaps a little little ill defined in our in the way that we think about things. In in saying, well, we can determine how much power we get out of um, non renewables or synchronous stuff. Mm. Um, that's just a coincidence that they kind of exactly line up. By the way, it's not a property of it being synchronous or asynchronous that we can choose how much power to get out of them. It's just that we've got a, a fuel source handy. Yep. So, for example, hydro is a renewable, but we can choose it's dispatchable. They use the word dispatchable, right? So that we can say, go to this amount, go down to this amount, be at 100, be at zero, be everything in between. So that's basically a matter of choosing how much water is flowing at the time. That's Yeah, that's right. So they can 
release and and same thing with the coal, right? They burn more coal, they burn less coal, um, and they supply more torque, more more energy to the generators, and yep. so they can choose to be you know between zero and whatever their maximum capacity, maximum capacity, or being being perfectly specific, they have they usually have a minimum generation amount so it might be from 100 to 500 something along those lines mm. whereas as you quite rightly pointed out um with renewables or or the asynchronous renewables uh you know you can't produce if the sun's not shining or the wind isn't blowing but you can um choose to produce less than what they're outputting okay if if you need if you're under particular constraints limits can be set and so um a more useful way to think about this divide and the way that we do it in the Australian industry is to split it into scheduled and semi-scheduled. So scheduled will do what we tell it to, and they're those synchronous ones. And semi-scheduled will um, generate what they're generating as far as the energy coming into them, so your wind and your solar, but you can also tell them to generate less. Um, is nuclear synchronous? Nuclear is synchronous. So the way that nuclear generates power is very similar to the way that the other thermal type so it's a thermal type plant um your nuclear fuel heats up um a liquid um or a material usually water um water drives turbines turbines have magnets in them and they push it so so nuclear is definitely a very responsive it's a very um very schedulable dispatchable technology yes yeah um but then with the semi-scheduled, um, the, the thing that we want to kind of think about is that um, statistically speaking, as you, as, you, as you know, if you take, if you've got enough sample points, you can eventually get something that is reasonably reliable here. Love if we've a good got, sample size. Yeah. So, you know, the, so it tends to be that in Australia, you know, you're, you won't have a cloud that just appears over the entire country and then disappears. You've got clouds that typically roll from west to east, and they'll go over some solar plants, but not others. Mm. And, you know, you might have bigger or smaller solar days, but it's not a, it's not a digital thing. It's not flicking on or off the solar for a particular state or, or thing. So um, given more and more renewable energy, the... Uh, reliability of those services as an aggregate goes up statistically so long as it's distributed as long as it's distributed so as you get more and more solar energy you know one bank of clouds is not going to make as big a divot in the Mm. graph in the supply demand balance as it used to same thing with wind wind is a is a semi-local property um you know you can have a big windy day or a small windy day in a state but it's not going to be everything or nothing um, so I, I just wanted to make that distinction yeah, to yeah. say, you know, and eventually if you take enough of these, they become effectively a dispatchable unit. You know, mm-hmm. in, in the aggregate, we can treat these guys as um, something that can be turned up and turned down as we, as we need to, as long as we've got enough of it. Okay, so under the free market logic, the generators are competing to produce power as cheaply as possible. With the additional caveat yes. that some of them can, I assume, change their output more quickly than others? 
Like, yeah, that's that's okay. right. So let's um, talk about yeah. that because there's like estimating estimation and measurement processes going on here. How much power is being produced? How much is currently needed? And how mm -hmm. much will be needed in the future? Yeah. We'll start with the supply. How do generators measure and predict their output? Okay, so they don't, basically, okay. except for in, in the scheduled world, they don't. In semi-scheduled, they kind of do. So okay. let's address them one by one. Um, I want to take a step, step back. So um, they don't... A, generator, a scheduled generator doesn't predict its output except in a sort of more... Um, commercial way to say you know are we going to need more people on today or are we okay. going to you know you know um over this six month period do we need more or less fuel and that sort of thing yeah but on a on a minute by minute basis what is happening is um that aemo runs a thing that we've referred to before as the dispatch yes so that's taking the um the predicted amount of demand per state it's state-based, um, and then picking up the cheapest bids from the generators mm. until they have enough generation to supply that supply. Okay. So to supply so, that demand. So it was it was it one minute or five? <clears throat> Every five minutes. Okay. It used to be more complicated than this, yeah. but it's now it is now a five-minute dispatch process or a five-minute bidding process. Um. And so whatever the highest price, the last bid that was accepted, is what everybody gets paid oh, in the okay. end. Yep. So typically what that process looks like is they'll start in the negative bids, so the people that really don't, that it's commercially um, uh, deleterious to turn off. Yep. Um, and then they'll, they'll keep going through zero all the way up to $30, $40, 50 per megawatt hour, and that'll be about it. And then everyone gets paid 50 bucks per megawatt hour. Sounds a bit strange, but it's called marginal pricing. It's quite standard. Yeah, so when you, and you say <clears> people <throat> for whom stopping production is problematic, I imagine that's your big turbines that rely on, like, uh, heat energy. So you That's exactly yeah. right. And they can't turn on a dime either, which is sort yeah. of going back to your point about um, the, the rate of change. The rate of mm. change is the term. Um, each plant has a rate of change up or a rate of change down. For big turbines, it might be quite slow. Um, for renewable stuff, um, the newest, the newer inverters are quite quick at doing it. Um, they can ramp up and ramp down very quickly. <clears throat> um, but it's sort of a secondary property to this dispatch process. It's just a constraint that the dispatch engine needs to be aware of. And so there's some allowances there made in this dispatch of the semi-scheduled stuff. Um, and so, you know, we were asking, okay, how do you measure and predict output? Uh, the semi-scheduled stuff, the wind and the solar, um, they can either choose to produce their own forecasts, which is what we call right. unconstrained inter intermittent generation forecast, UIGF, I think. Uh, and that just basically says, okay, so if I'm allowed to generate everything that I can onto the grid... Um, how much can I do at this yep. point in time? Um, then we have also standard providers, which I think typically most people use for those forecasts as well, um, which is a, um, a third-party provided thing, but it's sort of a, um, a standard in the Australian energy industry. So every um, all of the time they're receiving these forecasts as to what's going to happen next and that's going to inform their bids that's going to mm. inform you know what they do and that sort of that sort of thing 
Right, so they are trying to basically predict how much they can charge AMO for the power that they are going to generate. Yeah, so I don't really know that much about commercial yeah, behaviours right. um, beyond the, the simplest stuff there, but um, their renewable bids tend to be quite fixed, though their costs are quite low. They're typically the quickest ones to get picked up. Um, and then, you know, you're going to go through coal, which is then cheap, through your um, combined cycle gas turbines, which are more expensive, then to your open cycle gas turbines, which are um, more expensive again and what's known as peaking plants. And so I said earlier, you know, there is a particular role that gas has in Australia's energy industry. So typically what we have um, in the... Um, if you look at the day's supply and demand, through the middle of the demand, a day, demand is much lower, or the, the demand that we need to consider is much lower because um, much of it's being served by local um, solar panels, PV, mm. photovoltaic panels. And we just see this as a gap in the demand um, okay. in the, in the you know, broader industry. And so if you were to, to draw the demand, you'll see a big peak around 8, 9 a.m. Uh, and then a big peak around, you know, 5 or 6. And then this exactly what we see in a duck curve in between. Oh, so like, like um, so not like that, but... Oh, no, no, that's good. That's okay, good. Yeah, so yeah. that, yeah, so... Well, it doesn't quite go to zero. This is not <clears> zero. <throat> no, don't let it be fooled. <laughs> that's right. Um, and so... What gas turbines, uh, what they call the open cycle stuff, um, peakers, because they're able to shave the peak off and they're able to get started very quickly right? and wind down very quickly, So, but they're not very commercially good. They're mm. very inefficient from a um, fuel in energy out perspective. So, the so they, they'll just run when, they, when, they, when the price is very high and the demand is very high. Right, so the government, uh, federal government's effort for a gas-led recovery from COVID economy stuff, on the basis that we could put a lot of generation from fossil fuels into that, is a bit yeah. of an issue. No, it's it's interrelated. So gas okay. produces less CO two for your um, for your energy, mm. but it's still a lot. Yeah. Um, so that's part of it. So less CO two compared the... to brown and black coal. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but obviously more CO two. Um, versus wind, the solar, wind and solar, yep. which is not zero, I would say. Um, you know, um, I'm going to say that for well, both, gotta build them both sides of the field. Yeah. You have to build them, <laughs> and this is all being this is all considered somberly and sensibly um, by people with pocket the, protectors and hand <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly as the total kind of um, CO2 cost of um, of ownership or of implementation, right? Mm. Um, so it's not you know. Uh, it's not fair to say that there's zero, um, and it's also not fair to say that it's not taken into account for renewables. It mm. absolutely is. Yeah. What the gas red gas led recovery stuff is about is is that gas is low. We've got a lot of gas in the Tasman and the Bass Strait. You know why not use that? The other component to it though is these peakers where we are really seeing bigger and bigger peaks in the mornings and the evenings due to the. Um, amount of demand that's serviced during the day from renewables, it's getting much, much um, more uneven. It's getting less even, um, okay. the, the, the graph. So we're going to see these big peaks. 
Um, so the federal government's proposed plant in New South Wales, Curry Curry, um, is a peaker. It's an open cycle gas turbine. It's for exactly that reason. It's to get rid of the um, get rid of the the peaks that are not otherwise covered by PV or whatever. Yeah. Or, or you know, if you use coal plants to do this they're off most of the time during the day and it's just not simply not financially viable so that's the situation we find ourselves in so the the coal and other their their ability to change their output to that extent like presumably they have small ability is very very limited so how long what would it take like a day or two to kick a coal plant from zero to full or no no it takes it takes a few hours um it it takes probably I don't know six hours. It depends on the plant, depends on what what the size of it is and that sort of thing. But um, they they definitely have some real kind of momentum mm. there where they don't want to shut down in the middle of the day. They're they're servicing big boilers. Mm. You know, it's more that you want to go up or down twenty thirty megawatts sort of thing, and and you know being run run like that. And of course, that the more um. The more messed up the demand graph looks, the less financially viable coal is. And yep. so what we're seeing is, again and again, the repeated early exit of coal plants way before we expected them to come out commercially. So the, just the other day, we saw announced that Araring, which is the single biggest um, aggregate unit, I think, in the in the NEM, um, is going to come out by 2025 now way way earlier than uh, was, was initially predicted. kind of yeah. predicted so um and that's just through due to the nature of the the demand profile in australia right right now where it's become, becoming less and less financially viable to run coal okay so how does battery and other like storage fit into this yeah awesome so there's two kinds of storage that we really care about one is hydro as we've discussed um, previously as a synchronous unit. Hydro is awesome if you don't care too much about the environment or you've got a particularly good one. Look, and, and like all of these, you know, we have to we have to measure the environmental cost. Unfortunately, we've got we're in this deal now where we as a society are consuming energy. Mm. We have to weigh the cost of one thing versus versus another and and you know, hydro is a very clean solution to run so um, you, you know, in, don't worry about flooding things to build it yes that that's right and the existing and irrigation all that kind of stuff yeah putting that aside so hydro storage is is wonderful it's synchronous it can ramp up and ramp down really quickly it can um it can play both sides of the market mm. uh, which which all storage should be able to do by the way by purchasing power when it's cheap using it to store more energy in the case of hydro that's pumping water into the upper reservoir mm. and then when it's expensive um, producing release, power yeah. release through the turbine come back down and you know you want that cycle to be as efficient as possible so that you can uh, play both sides of the market um, the issue with hydro is we don't have it what it requires is two big reservoirs of water and a big height difference and we just don't have that much of it in australia yeah it's a relatively so flat country all it's over. a relatively flat country except for the great dividing range and for tasmania and so yeah um that's why we see snowy too a, a massive um massive kind of country building exercise um 
I can't comment too too much on what it's doing to the waterways. Um, I just see it from an electrical engineering perspective, in which it, it is uh, an incredible thing. It's a the existing snowy infrastructure um, is just phenomenal, um, and it does its job really well. Um, you're just geographically kind of screwed mm. on it. And then, of course, you've got battery, which is an asynchronous thing. It's going to do the same. Um, the same role, but uh, it has some additional benefits which I, I want to touch on. In a zoomed out level, it's still buying power when it's cheap or negative, if it can do that, right? You know, they get paid to to buy power and, and like to use power, which is great. Um, and then, you know, sell it when it's expensive. Mm. They have the downside of being asynchronous with everything that comes, comes to it. Um, and I think there was a question later on, Tess, about... Um, what the holdups are and, and going all renewable and all that yeah, sort of yeah. stuff. So when I make that divide, you know, I want to talk about that later. Yep. Um, but there's one other very important thing that um, batteries and, and all across the market, but batteries are very good at, um, and that's a thing called frequency control. Mm. So when when I said, you know, we're going to do as much... Um, dispatch to meet the supply and when i said that frequency is 50 hertz both of those things are lies um, because, they're, <laughs> <Of course. laughs> yeah. because they're discrete and anything can happen in five minutes that dispatch and, and supply is never going to be matched up exactly and the way that we measure this is in the frequency for a bunch of um, very technical reasons frequency is a very good indicator for where that supply demand balance is so as the balance gets out of whack and demand outstrips supply frequency will drop and the inverse is in, um, in effect as well so as the if there's too much power injected in the grid not enough demand to supply it uh, to absorb it frequency will rise so just so people have a visual <clears throat> representation if we compare these two wiggly little lines this one here has higher frequency because it's going up and down more often. That's exactly right. And we're not talking about big differences here. Um, you can go and have a look at the error bounds in the... Um, oh, I'm the going NAM. to ask you about error bounds, actually. Um, but they're kind of steered like bumper bowling from, you know, very close to 50 in either direction. And when it gets too low or too high, bad things start to happen to, to mm. synchronous machines and, and lots of other things happen. Um, so while I've got you on that line, yeah. uh, what constraints are there on the relationship between grid load and generation? Like if you have a sudden spike or a dip, if this like frequency changes dramatically in a very short amount yes. of time, yes, what happens? Uh, which which we which happens? You know, it happens in small ways every moment of every day, and it happens in big ways when things blow up, right? Um, or <laughs> yes. things stop operating, <laughs> things trip off. Happens all the time. We actually have seven markets in the electricity industry um but we only ever talk about the energy market the other six are what what we call frequency control ancillary services and it's a big fancy name for saying that there are different that there are um people that bid in to say if the frequency starts to drop i'll measure it and it's too fast for the dispatch period you know dispatches every five minutes this is um on the order of seconds mm. That if the frequency starts to drop, I will inject power. Right. Um, if the frequency starts to rise, I will absorb power. 
So they basically function as a smoothing mechanism. That's exactly right. So batteries are very good at this short-term one in both directions. They can, and in fact, um, the neon Tesla battery in South Australia um, made millions of dollars during the South Australian separation um, in 2020. Um, what was where that? South Australia, oh. Well, so um, the um, interconnectors to between Victoria and and South Australia. Um, experienced a, a cloudburst event, um, very freak kind of meteorological event where um, a downwards air current kind of smashed the transmission towers. Oh shit! Yeah, and um, and basically synchronously split South Australia from the rest of the national electricity market. The, the Seems name. bad. I keep saying them, and so South Australia just had to go it on their own. Mm. Um, and so you get obviously if you've got fewer sample points for demand and supply you're going to get way more variability there yeah. and the um and so the batteries are there just trying to steer things in the right direction at all times and and so there's a market for that um the reason why there's six is that there's three in either direction up and down and they operate on different time scales so right six seconds 60 seconds and oh, i can't remember the other one and so batteries are really good at doing the short ones and the big generators tend to do um, the frequency raise stuff for long periods mm. by keeping extra reserves. And these markets are co-optimized against each other. So the amount of reserves that they keep has to be financially viable versus what it would have for them, to, um, require for them to be in the market. And yep. there are requirements around this. So this is on a very small, if we're looking at the microscopic for the demand and supply balance, um, this is at the very microscopic, the the zoomed, zoomed in thing of um, it's too quick for the market operator to tell people to ramp up or ramp down or that sort of stuff. So we need a little bit in the back pocket mm. to service um, the the events that can happen in between. Yep. So then this is sort of a, probably a good segue into the larger demand supply balance. So if we zoom out slightly more again. The supply-demand balance is then, you know, mostly taken care of by that five-minute dispatch process. So every five minutes, we're going to match that um, in the market. And, you know, a, a really bad supply situation is going to be mostly mitigated by market mechanisms. So mm. if you've got three or four days out that um, the weather forecasts are showing heat waves, they're showing, you know... <clears throat> Potentially big thunderstorms, yeah. Big thunderstorms, lower, um, you know, renewable um, generation. You've got a couple of big units out in a state uh, as far as the, the non-renewable stuff goes. Then working ahead, people can see the, all of this data is published. It's published continually by AE mode. Um, so you can go on... Um, on nemnet.com.au, nemnet.net.au.com. Let's find out. <laughs> so this data is is published to market participants. Some of it is published to Nemnet, Nemnet as well. So if you're a statistical um, type and you're actually wanting nah, to show interest in be. this, yeah, it couldn't be. <laughs> this is the place to start. So you've got right. wholesale prices in here, blah blah. What you've also got is this thing called PASA, um, which is Oh, God. Um, something, something, something. Um, okay, so real supply quick. Supply adequacy. 
I've got Queensland, New South Wales, South Australia, Vic, Tasmania. Mm-hmm. So and they all Northern... have different prices, yes. Yeah, and I assume that this is a transmission line between these. So Queensland hooks into New South Wales. Yes. Vic. Where are... I'm assuming that, like, WA, Northern Territory... So I meant to go over this first and I forgot. Oh, um, so okay. I've been saying the word NEM a lot. So that's the National Electricity Market. Um, that covers Queensland, New South Wales, South Australia, Vic, and Tasmania. And Canberra? Um, Canberra's in New South Wales, Canberra's, right? Yeah, Can- Canberra's count as part of New South Wales. But then obviously that leaves a lot of lot of country left. So there's also the WEM, which is the Western Australia Electricity Market, which is also operated by EMU. Mm-hmm. There is Darwin, which is operated by the, the Northern Territory government. Um and they're mostly diesel and that sort of thing. Um, and then you've got everything else, which is mining towns, etc. So Mount Isa um, and surrounding towns have their own one, you know, supplied by um, local companies. Right. So these Same guys... thing with the Pilbara. So these are separate networks in the sense that they are literally not connected. Separate networks. Um, they're not. Um, they're not connected in any way. So and and I really don't know what goes on in in those. To be to be perfectly honest, but they're not. They're not not operated by EMO and okay. largely not not government operated as well. Mm. So where were we on on this? So so supply and demand. You can go and have a look at that um, in Parser uh, on nemweb.com.au, um, and that will tell us on a couple of different time horizons. Parser here, I found it. Uh, um, yep. So we've got pre-dispatch parcel, which is looking at about a day and a half out, short-term parcel, which is looking uh, eight days out, and Ooh. then medium-term parcel, which is looking um, uh, up to three years out now. And so what, what will happen is that these will give us um, lines of demand and supply right, um, and reserve. Um, there's a, a whole kind of um, process that goes into producing these to work out how much the um, neighbouring regions can help, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, um, companies, the operators of generators will be looking at this and saying, oh, actually, things are looking really bad next Thursday. You know, um, we better cancel or move this maintenance. So there's a bit of shifting in the market that happens. Mm. And then they'll bid in to say, no, we're actually available during this time. You know, we moved some stuff because we're going to make money out of it. These are market mechanisms kicking in. That will slowly move demand towards supply. Right. And that typically happens in the ST time frame, so out to about eight days. Mm-hmm. When things get nearer and nearer, then we start talking about interventions into the market. And so um, what those interventions are initially going to look like is directing any generation on that's not already going to be on, um, and that's done at the behest of AEMO. So they will so say... So this is if you have an undersupply. If you have an undersupply. If yep. oversupply happens hopefully, all day, every day, and, and we only dispatch <laughs> as much as we need, right? Um, but if we're looking at not just uh, undersupply, but we're within um, a single contingency of not having enough electricity, and a single contingency is one acceptable thing happening, uh, a line tripping off, a generator tripping off, that sort of thing, yep. then AEMO will, will um, or may direct on um, plant that wasn't either on. But usually they're already going to be on. Right, mm. because they they want to be making fifteen thousand dollars per megawatt hour. Everybody yeah. wants to do that. You know, you can make a month's worth of uh, money in a day, um, and that's what the market's there for. Mm. So usually you will get to a point where where things have gone, 
things are the the bucket's getting quite dry here, and so we're talking about um, Queensland a few months back. Mm. Um, when was that? I, I don't even know. We're February now. Must have been January sometime. There was a massive heat wave in in um, in Queensland, and so you know we see communications go out to say you know um, there may not be actually enough supply to um, to supply the demand. Mm. The next mechanism they've got there is a thing called RERT, um, Reliability Emergency Reserve Trader, Reserve, Reserve and Emergency Reliability Trader. One of the one or two ways array around um, where um, big big uh, loads that require being on for long periods of time. So, uh, for example, our aluminium smelters, big industry, that sort of thing, uh, where it costs a lot of money to turn off, as well as losing a lot of money. Um, they can participate in this and they can be um, contractually tendered to turn off and they mm. get paid an amount of money that is the upper bound of which is decided by the AER. And that's sort of like a last stop measure. You know, it costs money, but it's 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 acceptable to switch them off because, uh, you know, it saves some other stuff coming off. Then you get towards load shedding, which is where nobody wants to be. Yeah. So if you're at the point there where you are, um, where we're in an actual um, or, or, or getting right on the verge of an actual um, lack of reserve situation, load shedding is the term by which we mean um, largely the distributors, I believe, are, are responsible for this, but they will, they will turn off individual like um, parts of the network. So a street or a suburb or, or what have you in a controlled way so that the whole network doesn't basically go black. And so that's when, when we talk about, you know, when there's, um, you know, things in the media and we're talking about, oh, you know, they say that we might lose some supply here or there. We're talking about load shedding and it's a controlled, mm. documented process so that there's not a collapse. So that's, so that's, that's your local blackouts sort of thing. It's your local, local blackouts. Um, and... Typically, they're done on a schedule so that they're rotated, so it's not the same people being turned off all of the time. Mm. Typically, there are um, provisos through either the retailer or on higher levels to say, if you've got a dialysis machine, um, you know you that part of it won't get yeah. turned off. Hospitals don't get turned off, or if they do, they're participating in some sort of. They've got generators on online locally and all that sort of stuff, right? So, so this is the thing to do it. So we're turning off in a in a response. Sorry, I say we. I'm having nothing to do with switching this stuff <laughs> off, but I'm, I mean the. You don't have the big whole, red button. I don't have the I've big red button. I've been lied to. And you know, so the, you know, the distributors and whoever else is responsible will be taking these circuits offline. To get things close to where they'd be. There's also automated ways of doing this um, with what they call under-frequency um, uh, relays. And so they're, they're um, I know from that they've got a bunch of them in South Australia and that sort of thing. And so they'll detect, uh, these are network devices, and they detect when the frequency goes down, and they'll start to pop off parts of the network automatically. Right. So big question. Mm. How does domestic solar fit into all of this? Yeah, so domestic solar is by itself, okay. and domestic batteries. Obviously, domestic is solar is local. Um, it doesn't participate in the in the market. Uh, it doesn't is not typically visible um, to the industry or to AEMO. Right, is that because it's too small a market share, or because no, 
Okay. No, so I mean, for a bunch of reasons, I, I don't want to get myself in trouble here, but you know, <laughs> the um, the initial rollout of solar stuff lacked mechanisms and lacked mm. standards um, for reporting this stuff back. Um, right. There's simply no, you know, to have this this reporting back and blah blah blah. You need, you know, you've got to agree on protocols. You've got to agree on all this sort of stuff. And I think solar panel kind of the solar panel stuff came up very quickly um, on a commercial scale, not through the government, not through you know whatever else. Right. So if I so it just solar, went in. So if I've got a solar panel on my <clears> roof hooked up to whatever in my house, that happens. Uh, in an internal system instead of before a power meter. So what the outside world sees at the power meter is how much I'm drawing from the grid or putting back into the grid. That is it exactly right. See how much I'm using internally. That is exactly okay. right. So what the meter sees is your generation minus your your usage. Yep. That could be negative if you're inject injecting back in in there. So what do we do? Well, we predict, mm. right? So there are ways to do it with um, combining meteorological predictions so the amount of sun falling on particular areas as well as combining that with what we see what we think the demand should be and what it actually is so what um the so market do, sorry, sees does, does amo actually know where solar panels are or does it just kind of assume that there's some distribution across the house roofs or it's whatever? a it's a statistical thing largely okay. by and large um and so there is an understanding of the proportion of PV out mm. there versus the um, versus the demand, and that's different for each states. Um, and so, you can kind of predict what it is, and it's thought about and it's it's kind of given in the stats as negative demand. So you see, instead of instead of PV as a supply rising, what you see is demand dropping in the middle of the day because. The demand is actually having the PV output subtracted from it. Yep. Um, and that gives rise to what they call the duck curve of demand. So you've got yeah. this big, big gap that we saw earlier um, in the middle of the day so um, because it's actually some demand that's higher than that that's mm. having the local solar stuff subtracted. So really it sits um, from a wholesale market point of view, it sits on the demand side of mm. things because it's subtracting from the demand it's not adding to the supply these are just constructs right yeah, what yeah. we really want is to make sure that the lines meet in the middle um and with pv what we're doing is making the demand line go down instead of the supply line going up as long as they meet in the middle we don't care yeah um but it does mean that that um predictability and, and all that sort of stuff is is off so that brings us to the challenges i think of renewable both local and yeah, absolutely. And global. I was going to ask about that in terms of batteries. Mm -hmm. You might not know the answer to this, but um, in terms of using it in an international energy system, do we have the amount of lithium and other component minerals that you need for that uh, to be a Yeah, I don't, good? I don't know. And look, there's different kinds of batteries as well. Lithium at the moment, um, you know, it's it's being reasonably well supplied. I'm sure that we're going to run out. You know, Argentina's going to be dry or whatever. Whatever's going to happen, right? We'll move on to the next thing. But as long as it's storing energy in a commercially viable way, we don't really, you know, in the in the grid, we don't mind. But because so that could be 
producing hydrogen, right? That's energy storage um, and then burning it when we need and all that sort of stuff. So um, like it or not, the market is going to adjust and as lithium supplies, um, if they do get squeezed, the cost of lithium will go up, the commercial viability of building new batteries based on that will go down and by comparison other technologies will start to become more appealing. So not really sure apart from the fact that there will be just constant adjustments to the market um, as long as new technologies emerge. If they don't, you know, then we'll be in a bit of problem. So, but yeah. definitely not my area. So renewable challenges, you know, we talked going back at the start of the episode of synchronous versus asynchronous. And you might hear on the news, you know, ABC or whatever saying that, oh, they're going to turn our solar panels off during the middle of the day. Why would they not want free energy or... Well, it's not free. You have to, yeah, but... Yeah, stuff like that, right? The answer is it's complicated. Mm. Um, there are more considerations than just the amount of supply and demand. They're probably the easiest one to conceptualize is a concept called inertia. Inertia is both, both means metaphorically in the energy system and literally in how it works, um, in that if there is a um, mismatch of supply-demand... Um, and then the frequency goes up or down. Um, and this is usually in, um, in response to a local fault. So a uh, power line, transmission lines hit the ground. We've got electricity going from, um, you know, there to ground instead of going through the network. Um, we start talking about this concept of inertia where it's like a, um, for a synchronous generator, it's like a car, car's engine braking. So, you know, mm. car engine braking where if you put it in gear, and uh, go down a hill, it's going to start to absorb some of that energy. So you won't go as fast going down a hill with your car in gear as you would with it in in neutral because your engine is starting to absorb some of that energy. Yeah. Um, And typically, that's what you want going down a hill. You don't want to be careening away, right? But you get there faster if you do. Yeah, yeah, that's true. (laughs) Um, But, like, same, same deal with generators. Um, in that they will speed up and slow down as that frequency increases and decreases and will have a negative feedback effect, which is really good. You always want negative feedback cycles Mm. to um, bring supply and demand in in a bit. So, you know, if the frequency goes up, they're going to spin faster um, and absorb some more energy. They're big devices, right? They're huge. And kinetic energy in them is is a consideration. Uh, with an asynchronous system, you don't have spinning turbines. It just doesn't exist. The concept of inertia doesn't exist. There's synthetic inertia, which is sort of them trying to do the same thing through much more complicated means. But it's not there. You know, it's 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 not something that's a intrinsic property of um, asynchronous devices. So we like inertia. Mm. The other thing is a concept called system strength, um, which is related to the size of the units synchronously and and that sort of stuff. And it's a big consideration, um, especially in more in places of higher renewable, um, higher renewable depth. And um, you know, so South Australia um, has a lot of considerations around system strength. Um, and basically, what that means is, from a voltage perspective, how stiff is the system if you've got a if you've got the same disturbance so a fault something going wrong something tripping off you apply the same disturbance in two different places 
the voltage will do two different things. And if it's going wildly up and down in response to a disturbance, we say it's got low system strength. And you don't want that. You want your voltage to be controllable on the network. Okay, so uh, the strength is kind of a measure of resi- well, the ability to control variation. Voltage variation, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, again, synchronous units um, provide system strength. Um, renewable units, actually, uh, I don't want to say sap system strength. I don't want to get myself in trouble for using the same, the wrong term. But they they have to follow the sine wave of the grid. They use something called a phase-locked loop if you're an electrical engineer. Um, but all that means is that basically they have a way of tracking that sine wave and they're trying to match that sine wave. But if the sine wave gets all messed up due to a disturbance, they're, in they're still injecting power, but they might be injecting it at the wrong spot in the wrong wrong part of the cycle because their right. loop is unable to track where that is. That's just sort of right. a very, so very brief got, overview. So if you've got this yeah, going they on, lose track of where we are in this. Yeah, so if they start injecting here and suddenly you get this and then... You might have something funny. Well, going probably on. probably more like that. They're out of out of Think. phase with that with that. So they start the voltage okay. high when it should be low, etc. You know. Right. So they kind of come in at a weird spot. Or, yeah, uh, that kind of that kind of deal, okay, right? Yep. Um, and all of this affects the voltage controllability. Um, and so we rely on um, synchronous units in the Australian market to provide uh, this system strength. Now, there is one synchronous unit that I haven't mentioned so far, which is very, very important to this conversation. That's a synchronous condenser. And what that is, is basically a generator without the fuel supply. Um, So it's a big spinning magnet and they can make it spin in ways that um, provides all of the synchronicity um, of the of the the grid, the inertial properties, um, the system strength properties, um, without being attached to a brown coal generator, right? They are okay. they are spun by the um, by the grid itself, right? They they're absorbing electricity like anything else, like any other kind of motor. They are motored by the by the grid, and they provide system strength. It's just that they cost a lot of money to build, right? They're talking about. Okay, so this is um, this is used as a smoothing mechanism, not a generation mechanism. That's exactly right. So they don't okay. produce any any active power, um, but they do provide this smoothing mechanism, and they do provide voltage control, um, mm. or they they produce or absorb reactive power. But that's a whole couple of hours kind of discussion. <laughs> there. But um, but but they they do this. They provide, like I said, big ones cost a lot of money. So what we saw in um, and, and they're considered a transmission um, device as well. Yeah. They're part of the transmission network, and transmission quite often lags generation. It's very difficult to do. It costs a lot of money to mm. build transmission assets. So we've just had um, four synchronous condensers or syncons brought online in South Australia. And what that's done is raised the proportion of um, asynchronous energy, renewable energy. They've got a lot of wind, a lot of solar in South Australia that can run Yeah, right. while still maintaining system strength. Uh, and they've done incredible things. The problem is it just costs a lot of money. Um, the, the market signals and stuff are there. I'm a little confused on how they actually, on how they actually work. So there's a lot of sort of 
government involvement and that sort of thing. So, so um, because you're relying on a, a a marketplace to do this, it's not clear who would find it the most profitable well, to build these. And... I don't I don't know if if we even because it, that's not one of the markets that we have in Australia. Oh, okay. right? for, we don't have a market for system strength, so it has to be kind of taken care of as part of the transmission network. Mm. Um, maybe the signals, the price signals, are not so clear. I don't know. Does it cost you know, more than other synchronous plants to build? Uh, I don't know. Uh, um, I I don't well, know to be perfectly honest. I mean, they they um, they certainly cost in the same region, and you don't get any power out of them. But really, they need to be considered in the cost alongside other renewable investment to make that kind of judgment as to you know what's appropriate. And I think you know. South Australia being heavily criticised, um, the state government for their push for renewables and all that sort of stuff, and I'm then taking, I'm now taking one step even further away from any workplace that I might be involved in, <laughs> and say, and say, look, that's caused some, that's caused some real difficulties and concerns, and it was still the right thing to do as far as our future ability to be able to live on this planet. They've been very brave in doing it, and they've had a hard time. They've made it very difficult for the market involved as well um, and for um, the operation of South Australia. Um, but that's, that's what we need needs in Australia. Yeah. It's what we need to do to decarbonise. And we need – it's not a – you know, this is an objective thing that we absolutely need to be decarbonising much, much faster than we are already. And so to criticise, um, you know, South Australia for, um, for suffering some system strength concerns – um, and for suffering some some teething issues here, is to downplay the job that they, um, the the um, AEMO, AEMC, AER, the participants, the transmission network, etc., the job that they have all done um, to overcome technologically um, the deficit in in uh, renewable technology. Um, it's a it's an applaudable thing. Well, that feeds very nicely into the mailbag, actually, which is a bunch of questions that have been directed to me for you, mm -hmm. if you would like to go there right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. So the first question from Rosencrantz42, how many ways are the Lib Nationals wrong when they say the power outages in South Australia are because they use wind and solar? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things I can't um, put a, uh, an absolute It's not measurable. On. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would instead probably direct you towards the reports on it um amo would have had uh, it's it's a very well reported event um and so i definitely can't get myself in trouble for saying um you know this is wrong or right or, or what have you go and read the amo report read some other reports that are not put through the lens of um a particular broadsheet or through the government well, also, um, like, it's not wind and solar's fault that the line to between South Australia and Victoria got taken down. Absolutely. So, so we we lost that, <clears throat> but there are also other things concerned there where we had a bunch. We did have a bunch of wind units trip off. That is an objective mm. fact. Now that, um, but other units, as well, other synchronous units tripped off. The wind units that tripped off were um, perhaps. Um, due to settings issues in a lot of cases. Again, I don't want to get myself in, in trouble. You can go and read the reports there. But I, I will push back on this slightly and say that there is absolutely an element of um, renewables involved 
um, in this, unfortunately, uh, but it doesn't paint the full picture. Um, and I would also say that it's it's been an event that has been very highly both politicized but studied as well. And there's been a lot that's gone in in the industry to take every little facet of um, that uh, day, the System Black event in, in um, 2016 and... 2013? God, I'm so bad at dates. Um Time's fake, and, don't worry about it. And make sure that there are things that we can do to make sure it doesn't happen again. Mm. Um, and, and that involves, you know, both on the renewable and the non-renewable side um, in settings and keeping enough system strength around all of this sort of sort of stuff um, that is very difficult to boil down in, in an answer that's like, you know, screw you, Nat Libs, you know, it wasn't this or it wasn't that or it was this or, or was that. Um, there were lots of things that um, went wrong on the day just due to the scale of the um, weather conditions on the day. Um, well, so one of the things that's so difficult in large systems, in general, and this is realistically a large system, is when you have, like extreme events and cascading failures that's exactly predicting right. that is very very difficult because you don't always know where those connections that, are going to occur that's that's right so and there's only so much that financially you can do to um manage con contingency events so yes um i would like to compare and contrast it to the Calide um incident from last year oh we have um, another question about that actually how cool. funny was it when Calide c blew up from <laughs> retro uh yeah look um i probably don't want to bring my sense of humor into that um <laughs> but I, I i will on your behalf if you'd like um <laughs> look probably didn't make my my job very funny um the uh, but but i want to compare and contrast it to that event as as well so you know, we saw a bunch of um, of stuff trip off in South Australia. We also saw a bunch of stuff trip off in um, in Queensland um, due to so what. So in the Calide event, what we saw is that the um, the turbine at Calide um, Calide C four, which is a C3, coal, it's a coal, yeah, um, coal power terminal, suffered a, suffered some sort of um, mechanical issue. Um, and then went sort of uncontrollable, accelerated, cr uh, created a bunch of issues on the on the network. Um, and look, don't take whatever I've just said as as golden. Go and read the the reports. You know, there's an email incident report and all that sort of and stuff. There's an Again, amazing I don't photo myself... of yeah. the, the generator itself. Having... It's sh it's shook off bits of itself and and yeah. deposited you know hundreds of meters away. That sort of thing. I mean, cold. Um, turbines are like most turbines and they have a lot of energy in them. During the, for, for, for complicated reasons, they were still connected to the grid while much of this was happening. And during the um, incident, we saw big, um, big voltage spikes, big disturbances on the network. And we saw um, a bunch of Queensland generation trip off, right? Mm. And that was all um, non-renewable stuff. You know, we saw Stanwell um, trip off. We saw... Which um, is coal power, I Which assume? is coal power. We yeah. saw the Gladstone plant trip off, which is also coal powered. So what do you make of this? Well, what you make of it is that machines don't like to be attached to the network while um, while <laughs> things are going while yes. things are going wrong. Whether whether or not they're they're they've got 
um, you know, good old-fashioned coal in them or, or hippie do-no-good, you know, sun energy in them. No machine likes to be attached to the grid. So it's not a, it's not a matter of, oh, you know, when, when things go wrong, this technology or that technology um, just can't cut it. Well, it turns out nothing likes being attached to the grid while this is while this is happening. And what we what we need to do is ensure that um, problems like these are managed so that they don't spill out to the wider wider grid. And there's there's lots involved there. Again, I'm not pointing any fingers whatsoever. Um, there are protection systems involved. You know, there are things that are supposed to open close on you know various various things. That all has to do its little dance whenever this happens. Um, to avoid horrible things going wrong. And in fact, we saw actually Queensland and New South Wales separate very briefly during the Calide incident um, for this exact reason. You know, we saw all of this um, kind of turmoil on the grid in central Queensland. On the interconnector, the interconnector um, through sort of south central Queensland and, and northern New South Wales actually opened briefly while the worst of it was happening and then so and that then disconnected the two states that disconnected the two states but they were still close enough to, um together that they could be reunited in a fairly uh, mm. you know seamless sort of sort of way just so that it doesn't go down in new england and start to disconnect renewable stuff down there you know um, yeah so there's a point which your your cascade in queensland may have come into new south wales yeah that's right and it needs to be firewalled and all this sort of stuff and this is all stuff that you typically don't get paid money for it's just gets in the risk calculations so that you know you don't have unserved energy you don't have things blowing up and you don't have awkward conversations from the minister right like <laughs> um and, and so that's that's what happens in south australia just like it's it's happened in queensland like it's happened everywhere that um you know there's a there's an adjustment period um and sensible people sit down and they try and make sensible decisions to go how do we continue to operate the grid safely and you keep moving forwards as long as you know actual real negligence is not involved so, so what you're saying is that they move the big red button another foot away from your desk that's exactly right so i can't <laughs> put my feet up on it when i'm having a snooze um root of them is there labor that would be called upon in an emergency situation like that and sent out um to like kind of uh, fix as quickly as possible what's going on. Yeah, absolutely, from all sorts. So on the generator side, uh, you don't want generators to be off. It costs enormous amounts of money, right? These are big, big money-making machines because they're big infrastructure, right? And they're privately owned. I don't want to kind of be going like they're money-grubbing or anything like, like that. Um, fact of the matter is that, you know, if you look at it, boil it down, they're big machines that um, have big numbers involved, so when things go wrong, absolutely, crews are out there. Um, people are sweeping in and and trying to keep everybody safe. They did a great job of keeping everybody safe at Calide on the day. Nobody yeah, was there injured. Weren't any, yeah, that's the outcome you want, really, in an engineering yeah, disaster. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely, absolutely right. And, um, and then, you know, they want to come and study it, make sure there's no more safety issues. And, you know, they had to bring Calide back on bit by bit because that's just one of the... Um, one of the units there, one of the four units, to make sure they can bring the rest of it back online safely. Then on the transmission side of things, you know, if you've got towers down or what, um, they're absolutely they're bringing helicopters out. Like if there's bushfires in the in the region, they they deploy helicopters, they deploy everything to kind of get out there, look at what's going on, 
um, either you know the fire service is involved uh, or the transmission company or the distribution company themselves. So, um, sorry, I'm going to interject for just a second. Mm-hmm. So the transmission network itself, the poles and wires sort of mm-hmm. situation, is that privately owned as well? Uh, again, depends on the state. Queensland, no. Um, so that's PowerLink, um, who does the transmission system, and uh, Energy Queensland, so that's Ergon and Energex. Um, in New South Wales, that is a private company known as Transgrid, doing the, uh, doing the transmission network and then a bunch of little distribution things. Apologies if Transgrid is actually partly publicly owned or whatever. Um, but yeah, no, I they... seem to. I still have a vague memory about going to a protest about it being sold off to somebody. Yeah. So, um, so no, the, it's it's much the same breakdown okay. as um, as the the only um, the the real exceptions, I guess. Are, I don't I don't really know much about Tasman Networks, but um, mm. in Victoria, the um, the Transmission system is operated by AEMO. It's a once-off thing, and the um, the assets are actually owned by a different company called Osnet. So it's a bit weird. Okay. Yeah, it's whatever fits basically. Um, mm. So again, it, it it really depends. And they're um, you know they're again they're going to want to try and get especially big big poles and stuff up and going as fast as possible, so that you know a they can run the network safely and people have power and, and B, you know, the market impact uh, financially is is reduced minimized, as much yeah. as is minimized. Yeah. Okay. I have another question uh, from Vino. Does Andrew, another host of Bunta Vista, pick you up and burp you before each recording? Absolutely. <laughs> it a seems like a bit of a beaut- travel trek for him, really, all the way from Candler each day. But he does it. Um, he does it gladly. Oh, what I think a beautiful, beautiful. I've got a frog in my throat this afternoon because he hasn't actually <laughs> he hasn't that. Burped. <laughs> he hasn't burped. He's not getting paid as part of this, so he won't burp. Me. Oh, so I, I was going to say, so I should have contacted him as well. If you, yeah, <laughs> I'll remember that for next time. We've got another one. Uh, Shock Spicer asks, "How about that flood a few years back?" Eh? Yeah, I'm sorry, I wasn't around. Uh, I'd love to. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to get myself in trouble, but I wasn't around for for that. Sorry. <laughs> And lastly, from a partner of the show, my partner, Dean, and I am under instruction to read this verbatim. Uh Tess said this question had to be about electricity. Something, something electric guitars. Have you been enjoying any of Devon Townsend's discography beyond Strapping Young Lad? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Look, first album, um, Ocean Machine. Beautiful. Very good. Um, Infinity is awesome. Um, I'm not... I know Terrier is the one that's supposed to be getting everyone excited etc um i was a big prog metal fan back in the day but ironically that's his proggiest work and um (laughs) i'm not really interested um i think um the proggier he gets he would be like i i haven't actually listened to all of them yet but i am Uh, kind of stuck on it on infinity and um and uh, accelerated evolution i think was one that had big uh, and it's got some bangers on. It's got Deadhead on it, obviously. Mm. If you're um, wanting to get into, if you're wondering what the Devon Townsend thing is, and you're not in, into um, extreme technical metal of um, <laughs> Strapping Young Lad, which I think is his best output, um, go and check out the uh, the video, f- the performance at the Royal Albert, I think, um, of Deadhead. Um, that man has some pipes. Like, oh, it's phenomenal, man! I like. 
you know, there's some there's some singers that come along only a couple of times in a generation, just with a with a voice, right? That can just do whatever you want to do uh, with it, and it's just like, oh man, you were you were blessed with uh, those lungs and those pipes, uh, so and to it, use them for for metal is extremely uh, well, on. yeah, well applied. I can also recommend that uh, anybody interested do go and listen to the Key album because the song Key shows that off in its own right in an exceptional fashion. And the rest also demonstrates his range into heavier metal and all that sort of thing as well. I might go and check that out this afternoon. And I'll just throw in a comment that my friend's ex-boyfriend said, which was, uh, Bart really doesn't like that music with good singing, right? (laughs) (laughs) Does that that mean... Devin Townsend? Um, I did not a fan. Strapping Young Ladder listen. I'm not so much into the metal, but I did enjoy that one. Oh, okay. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, no, but, it's good. Um, it's ca- The thing about Strapping Young Ladder is it's, it's often very catchy for something that is also, um, like, infamously heavy. So, yeah, yeah. And I really appreciate that about the, the, the combination of the two elements. Um, well, yeah, like, che- yeah. So the heaviness isn't so much the problem. It's more like the kind of technicalness of it. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Like, I was yeah. a hardcore fan and stuff. Oh, nice, <laughs> nice. Well, Theo, thank you so much for coming on. Where That's can been people my find you? Um, look, they can check out um, the podcast that I'm on with my friends, um, Bunta Vista. We'll um, stick a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, I'm not really on Twitter anymore or anything like that, so... Um, you, oh my god, you did it, you logged out? I've logged out, mostly. <laughs> I'll occasionally log back in and, and kind of make fun of... Um, NFT guys for having their wallets <laughs> inspected, and just, which is just, it's a... That's a public service. Yeah, it's about. like stepping on ants. It's <laughs> there are a lot of them too. Yeah, there are a lot of them though, and you can never really make a big hole. Um, yeah, so yeah, check out, if, you, if you're if you interested, check out Bonavista. It's nothing to do with this. Um, and uh, But otherwise, yeah, um, happy so to chat or uh, take any questions that people have about the... Uh, energy industry that might get me um, in (laughs) trouble trouble. yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) so for our listeners we also have a patreon where you can get episodes a little bit early if i remember to edit them before the day they're meant to be released on the free feed we also have bonus episodes so the one for this month coming up is going to be about what could statistics do in a utopia for me so that's going to be real fun Hmm. all right thank you two again for coming on thank you very much and i will talk to you later Cheers.